Jordan is a very inspiring human being. Uh, in today's show, we're going to talk to her about her spiritual journey, how yoga has impacted that journey as well, uh, the Ghosh 84 yoga practice, and competitive yoga. So, got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, hope you enjoy the show. We'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome back to our show. Uh, today, sitting across from me is a woman that I've known for a little bit of time now, mm -hmm. maybe like six months, less than a year, but <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen you a lot, but just have physically started to know you a little yes. bit more. Um, so Jordan Lydia Verla is, uh, is sitting across from me, and Jordan is, um, your practice is one of those practices that takes me out of my teaching practice. Mm. Um, I've uh, been lucky enough to have you in a few of my Hatha classes. <laughs> and um, and the way that you practice and the flexibility that you have is something that we don't always need to strive for. But the fact that your body is allowing you to do mm -hmm. the things mm -hmm. that you can mm -hmm. do is mm -hmm. very um, breathtaking at times no, thank you. to look over <laughs> and, and when we're like cueing dancer pose, for example, and you look over and you're in full lord of the dance you like either have your foot to your face or your full split it's just it's so impressive to Thank watch you. and and everybody's practice is impressive to watch at every stage i don't mm -hmm, want to mm -hmm. discount anybody's practice but when you can see the full capability of the human body mm -hmm. in in somebody's practice and uh and what can be accomplished it's just it's beautiful to watch and Thank so you. with that um, you are also, uh, an energy healer mm -hmm. and, uh, just received your second level of Reiki, which mm -hmm. is beautiful. And, uh, and the word that you used is just the best word I've heard in so long that you are a witchpreneur. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. I, uh, I, I love the, the practice of Wiccan. I love the idea of witchery. I love that, that, that strong feminine idea is being brought back into mm -hmm, that and mm -hmm. not being like shunned or looked aside. It's like, no, we are witches. We are proud of being witches. We are powerful women. Yes. And this is what we're going to do. Yes. And, and I've, I've, you know, for you knowing you that, that you're like that and my girlfriend and her friends are very embracing mm -hmm, of that mm -hmm. witchery kind of idea. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so beautiful to watch. So yes. I, uh, I'm so excited to have you on. I'm excited to be here. Thank yeah. you for having me. <laughs> uh, and you, uh, so you've you've been practicing for uh, a little over ten years, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and have um, you know received your teacher training in, in various different levels of of, of yoga, and uh, but one of the one of the levels that is just so astounding to me, and it's something I've been newly introduced to by a friend, mutual friend of ours, Larissa Anderson, mm -hmm. who's been on the show before. Uh, which is the Ghosh series mm -hmm. of of, uh, of yoga, mm -hmm. and it's a eighty four pose class. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I first saw the um, the poster of the poses, because mm -hmm. uh, I take hatha all the time, I love hatha, and uh, hatha is a great practice for me. And for just to clarify something in the Pacific Northwest, uh, what we call hatha up here is basically the um, the Bikram series that's shortened into a 60 minute series, uh, 26 poses, roughly done twice. There's some leniency given mm -hmm. because it's not a full 90 minute practice, mm -hmm. but it's very reminiscent of what the Bikram style would be. Mm -hmm. um, I think the name switched to Hatha when the fallout from Bikram kind of happened yes. in 2013. <laughs> yes. Um, so I don't know it as any different because I didn't mm -hmm. start practicing about till 2012. Mm -hmm. um, 
But uh, is that does that sound about right as far yes, as like the totally. the okay the the Vikram bubble burst in like 2013 and then yeah. there was a you know rebounding effort I would say in all the Vikram studios but I was definitely um, a little Vikram baby yeah and my first yoga studio I started out was um, Vikram Yoga Ever. Everett mm. and my studio owner was Ewing and I call her my tiger mama <laughs> and it was you know all day Bikram yoga classes that was the only style that was offered mm -hmm. uh, and then 2013 happened <laughs> and <laughs> then um, studios kind of rebranded and started to incorporate um, different styles of yoga which you know that's it was really good for expansion and to be able to offer you know different kind of comprehensive systems for people including like vinyasa and mm -hmm. yin yoga as well and i also teach um yin yoga that yeah was, <laughs> heck so. yeah yeah i think that was uh you know an opportunity for a lot of the asana type studios to kind of rebrand themselves take the uh the strange carpet out of the the makeup, <laughs> yes. you know, branded studios which was you, you can knew, still find sometimes well, but like you knew you loved the bikram yoga so much because you would practice in a sweaty carpet room like that's how much you love the yoga like you knew that you really loved it because you were willing to suffer for that yes you were yeah. <laughs> I, I know i uh, the, the first few studios i practiced in were were the the tra uh, the, the converted studios into like power or vinyasa mm -hmm. or non-branded bikram studios uh, but I remember the first Bikram studio I went to was in uh, Renton, Renton mm -hmm. Hot Yoga at the okay, time. Okay, yes. And, uh, and I walked in and I'm like, what am I walking on right now? <laughs> what is this? And I looked down, I'm like, oh, this is the carpet they keep talking about. Like, yes. holy crap. Like, it's in a whole, and the studio was big there too. It was probably like a thousand square foot studio. It's like all right. carpeted. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was good to get rid of those magic carpets out yes. of the way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So with the uh, the gauche uh, practice, you mm -hmm. were uh, you're going over it a little bit downstairs with me, and mm -hmm. uh, I it was completely I was completely unaware of the lineage and where it came mm -hmm. from, and so um, do you mind going over a little yes, bit? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So the Bikram series or the twenty six postures were actually actually derived from a series of eighty four postures mm -hmm. by Vishnu Gosh, and Vishnu Gosh was the younger brother of Pramahansa Yogananda and the guru of Bikram. And actually, it, originally there was a book called Yoga Cure mm. by Ghosh that consisted of 32 postures, which mm. most of the 26 were in as well. So this is um, essentially the Bikram series itself is derived from that. And as a practitioner of Bikram yoga, and a lot of people don't you know, want to talk about it or this or that, I did have a lot of existential crisis in practicing this um with a fallen guru and i feel like there's a fallen guru in almost every lineage but reappropriating the lineage back to its roots helped to kind of stabilize this system that i had witnessed transform so many people's lives so many people's bodies and it is really such a powerful um, therapeutic practice in itself. But the 84 series is sometimes known as the advanced series. Mm -hmm. I don't like calling it the advanced series because I feel like it's an all levels practice. And if you do it setup by setup, then eventually it becomes more accessible to you. And I originally got into the 84 series because at the Bikram Yoga Everett studio, there was a po poster and on the poster was Joseph Ensenia, who okay. was the 2010 world champion. And his story is incredible. Um, he had rheumatoid 
arthritis as a child, four knee surgeries, a heart attack when he was 14 years old. Holy cow. He started yoga because it was one of the only things physically that he could do. His parents were afraid of him doing any kind of other sport, especially in Texas where everybody was doing sports. And within six years, he transformed his whole entire body and became the world yoga champion. So he had a poster called Progression of a Yoga Champion. And I remember looking at that at the studio and was just like, wow just amazed and so within a month of practicing yoga they talked about the yoga championships and I was like I want to do that okay <laughs> I just that desire just originated in my heart I had only been practicing a month I wasn't flexible at the time um my studio owner would say that I was stiff as sticks that's what she wow. used to say like you know you're stiff as sticks yeah. and she told me that I should go down to um, Larissa's studio mm -hmm. and practice the 84 because that's how the competitors used to kind of prepare for the championships. And so I went and when you're in that space and you can see other people do things, it's because that's within your field of awareness. Mm. That means that it's possible for you and that your consciousness has expanded enough to allow it in, even if it's not embodied yet in your body. So if you see somebody else can do something, mm -hmm. that means it's within your field of potentiality. And so I started doing the 84 practice mm -hmm. just a few months after I started doing the 26 practice. Okay. And I there is something so magical about that series anybody who's practiced it can affirm that that it's very intimate group of people it's a little bit more playful mm. and we kind of joke and talk back and very sassy and <laughs> you get very comfortable with failure okay. meaning that you take your body to that point of failure and then it makes the adjustments and the adaptations that's where your consciousness expands because you're always pushing into that place of failure and you're very comfortable with it. And I just, I just completely fell in love with it. Yeah. And I felt I was actually religious at the time okay. and I feel emotionally I'd left, um, well, I was, I was raised Mormon, but I felt like emotionally I'd left a long time ago, but there was such a stark contrast for me. Um, I was like, why do I feel God when okay. I'm on my sweaty yoga mat, mm -hmm. lying in here in a heap of exhaustion, and I don't feel God in a church? Mm. And and I'm not saying that you can't in those ways, right, but yeah. for me, I feel like everybody has spiritual rights, mm -hmm. meaning that they can connect to the divine or lack thereof in the way that's ever suitable for them. And I felt like my soul was in chains in kind of a institutionalized way of connecting um, with the divine. Yeah. And so for me, 84 kind of became my temple. It became my worship. Mm -hmm. And yes, and then obviously I got into yoga demonstrations as well, or yoga championships, yeah. or competitive yoga. Uh -huh. I don't even, I don't use that word competitor <laughs> intentionally, but we'll just go ahead and throw it out here. And I did my first yoga, quote unquote, competition, I would say just probably nine months after starting yoga, and Larissa was my coach at the time, and yeah. I came in dead last in Washington. Okay. And it didn't matter though. I got off stage and I hugged Larissa and it was just like this beautiful confidence boosting experience for me of openness and vulnerability and just being in that place to offer myself to 
community. From there, I kind of just dove into the rabbit hole and went on this journey of chasing the yoga or chasing source, I would say, through the yoga. And I've become connected with people across the globe, gone to trainings, all the stuff in pursuit of this dream, yeah. which my dream, I started saying in, back in 2012, I want to be the world yoga champion. Okay. And you would not have picked me out of a lineup. You would you would have like looked, if I was on the fence for dodgeball or yoga yeah. champion, you would have looked me over and been like, not her, not- <laughs> you know, not her. And just, but I just kept persisting in, I want to be the world yoga champion. Mm. And that was my heart song. And so the people and the places and the resources started to come to me and I was inspired to, you know, connect with this person and go to this training and then led to this other one and, you know, just building that momentum over the time and um, getting to the place I am now. And like you were speaking about my practice, um, I do know that there's like kind of this resistance sometimes towards people having a deep asana practice as attachment to the ego but for me, it's like, this is my art. Right, yeah. This is the, I paint with my body. This is my canvas. And I explore the depth and the posture mm-hmm. because it's it's not, I could be in the back of the room. I don't need anybody to see it. It's for me. Yes. And that's like the true embodiment of an artist is that they do the process for themselves because the journey and the destination, it's all one and the same. And when you fall in love with that journey, that it just it just keeps you in flow state that and so for me that's been that's been part of it and the more I purified my mind the more open my body has become and I had scoliosis in my spine when I first started and Mm, I had a lot of people growing up in some physical therapy and people telling me certain things about my body that I probably wouldn't be able to do and just continually destroying any limits Mm -hmm. of what I can do or can't do and that's been that process for me that vehicle of transformation through the yoga championships and through the platform of that as well and it is so fun and I think part of the 84 is that it's a place when I lead 84 I feel like I'm in love Mm. that state of being in love or in unconditional joy And because you're in that frequency of joy, things just flow. Mm. Your body just opens and postures materialize in a way that's, it's a quickening process. Yes. I I really love David Hawking's uh, map of consciousness. Okay. So when you're at the lowest, lowest level of consciousness is shame. Okay and fear and then you go up and neutrality switches you between force and power and so when you're in a state of joy you're at this complete expanded state and so your awareness expands so you'll have insights illumination and inspiration on how to connect with your body in order for your body to perform the postures so it's not necessarily through brute force right yeah it's because your your mind is open to a state to allow for that input that channeling of information from your higher self to come in to be like hmm maybe i should shift my weight over into this a little bit more we can breathe into this position a little bit more and while i do believe in working hard i've 
I've definitely worked, quote unquote, worked hard and been persistent. But when you fall in love with the journey, you don't feel like you're working hard. You're just doing it. Right. But it is about persistence and consistency and showing up. And sometimes my students ask, I want to be able to do what you do. How do I do it? I said, just keep showing up for 10 years, yeah, five exactly, days a week. Yeah. Just keep showing up. You'll yep. do it. <laughs> it could happen quicker. And additionally, I'm going a little tangent here, but additionally, as teachers, we our job is actually to quicken the process for our students. So something that can t- took me maybe seven years to achieve, now that I understand and I have the knowing in my tissues, mm-hmm. I can transfer that information to my students right. and quicken their process as well so that's beautiful and I, th- I think that's a sign of a good teacher is knowing knowing when the information is ready to be given to the student mm-hmm. and how hard to push and how how, how much to let up mm-hmm. you know and that's I think you know when you have a good teacher and a lot of a lot of the journey that I've been on recently with my spiritual journey has been more or less myself and not and I'm not discounting any of the help that I've had yeah. but I've never I haven't had like a formal teacher mm-hmm. I've definitely had people helping me like Tang is my meditation guide um, you know Holly is my medium that I meet with so I have all these people that help me mm-hmm. but that's been more recent and um you know, as as much as I didn't realize it until probably the last couple of years, is that I was leading by a lot of my intuition, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and and the intuition for me was something that was an atrophied muscle. It was something I had to like, so I didn't even realize I was using my intuition in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, but hearing you talk about your practice and the way that you teach and the way that the the poses uh, manifest inside your body. It, it, it does sound like you're intuitively practicing your practice. Mm-hmm. Like from the, from the idea of, um, you know, what you were saying, uh, not this style practice. I didn't want to move towards that style. I wanted to move towards this one, you know, mm-hmm. and that's your intuition, you know, mm-hmm. it's like showing you to the, mm-hmm. Hey, like not that, but this, and then your intuition again saying, Hey, cool. Now this is where you started with the pose. Now, if you push into the ball of your left foot and maybe kick back into your right arm and yeah, then maybe exactly. just transfer the weight exactly. and then ooh, now mm-hmm. we got some more mm-hmm. and that, you know, and I, I believe that, you know, when we can identify that we're starting to use our intuition, that we know that we're strengthening our intuition, mm-hmm. you know, and that intuitive moment that we have and those, those intuitions that we have are so important that we, when we start to trust them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's a great way to find that trust is by having that moment in your practice, listening to that moment and seeing how that manifests mm-hmm. and be like, Oh my gosh, that really helped me a lot in mm-hmm. this pose. Mm-hmm. Strengthen your intuition, right? Now mm-hmm. you're a little bit stronger mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Love that. There was another thing you said too about um, about not knowing you can do something until you see it. Mm-hmm. I That is such a good statement. I, uh, I When I first started practicing yoga, I was very overweight. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now I'm about 150. I was 230 at the mm-hmm. time. Um, very out of shape, bad back, all the stuff, you know. So I went into yoga for a lot of the repair reasons. And... Um, and I remember I practiced next to this guy named Austin, and he was a bigger guy, taller than me, not like heavy set, but just taller, broader shoulder than me. And I practiced next to him for a while, and I remember one day I saw him go into a full bind from a side angle. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I had no idea that was a thing. I didn't know a person of that size can do it. And if they can do it, mm-hmm. I can figure this out. Yes, and that was such yes. a boost of confidence. I think about that moment all the time. And that was probably six months into my, yes. my practice. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, it was like, nothing's in my way. Mm-hmm. I can, I, if I can't do it, my body will let me know. Mm-hmm. But from now, it's just me getting my body ready to get to the poses that I want to really figure out. Exactly. And that was yeah. a huge aha moment for me. Exactly. Yeah, that purification of the mind and that, that, that somebody's within your realm of possibility. And mm-hmm. so for me, looking at that poster... 
that was within my realm of possibility and yeah. I took it and I just wanted to move towards it. And I do think it's interesting. My first few years of practicing, I would say that there was a lot of hard work in it and practicing from a state of like, I had a lot of sadness and a lot of anger I was moving through. And so it felt like hard work and class was very hard and that's okay too. But I can look back in terms of my practice and see the effort matching the consciousness I was in. And so now when I practice, it's like art, it's joy, it's love. And it feels very effortless for me. Yeah. Like not that I'm not being vigorously exercised, but it's it's this state of effortlessness or I'm sure when people have entered into flow state on something you're working on and then right. all of a sudden you're like, oh, four hours have passed. Like, mm -hmm. whoa, it's time to go to bed or something like that. So getting into that state of flow um, with my practice is really something I love and enjoy right now. And yeah, it's been... It's been really magical, and I would say um, the 84 series just really has been my home and my family and community and joy, and it helped to really take me through. I, you know, I separated from my ex-husband three years ago, and it took me through that whole process, and for two hours during my week, I was in a place where I could be totally present and just complete and whole and feel that and I felt like my whole soul was like shattered mm. and it was a place where I felt whole mm. and so I think it kept that boundary periphery essence or of my body intact for me to move through it and it was really beautiful and then <laughs> when um you know, the great pause happened yes. in, in March of 2020 and everybody disappeared from my reality <laughs> completely. I was actually on my own for 40 days okay. and I was like, oh, Christ was on his own for 40 days or fasted for 40 days. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, am, I am energetically fasting everybody out of my system. Okay. And I realized that I had manifested the, the solitude in order to give my full attention to myself in that moment and I at first I hated it I was like this is awful I'm lonely and miserable and then towards the middle and the end I was like I'm gonna make this I'm gonna make quarantine an art form I'm gonna go to the park I'm gonna dance I'm gonna do this and and really embrace that process and now I kind of look back on it with nostalgic and it allowed me to return to the frequency of myself mm. And I didn't realize how many other kind of energies I was absorbing because I was in a place of moving through a lot of stuff. And so I didn't feel like my aura was totally contained at that time. Mm -hmm. And, but it was difficult to not have the 84 at that time. And yeah. then to also know that I am the 84. And of course I still practice it at home. It's for me, it's my foundational practice. It's like the 26 would be for people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's a magical lineage. I think everybody should try it. I teach the class inclusive, therapeutic, mm -hmm. and even if you can't do the postures, you're still energetically receiving it and expanding your consciousness as well. Uh, you so, know, and I think that's a really important statement to make is, you, you know, with the asana practice of yoga, we don't have to be able to do all the things to be quote unquote successful with the practice, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, you know, literally going into practice sometimes and laying in Shavasana for 60 minutes mm -hmm. is a beautiful mm -hmm. practice too, mm -hmm. you know? So <clears throat> if you have the ability to go and, and take a class, you know, even if you can't do all the things, 
watch asana is one of my favorite poses yes like when you exactly. can't do a thing you look around and see what the human yeah. body's capable of and not just in the full like people doing the full pose you see people like working within their own anatomy doing mm-hmm, the pose mm-hmm, the best of mm-hmm, their ability mm-hmm. and that is super inspiring to know that like hey last week you couldn't even barely put your right foot on your left knee but now your your right foot's all the mm-hmm, way in your left hip mm-hmm. crease celebrate that that's yes, fantastic yes. <laughs> that's such a good spot you know yes. and uh, you know that's the, the celebration of the human body we're right. all in different places mm-hmm. all of our anatomy is different we all have different injuries we're re- recouping from whether physical or mental or, or you know something and the yoga practice whether the asana practice the meditation practice of yoga the the science of yoga like they're all such beautiful practices to mm-hmm, be a part mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. and very very healing mm-hmm. and i feel like um I always tell my students it's the four-minute mile, Mm. meaning if one student gets that in the class, you're going to get it next. It's within your possibility. And so to celebrate that when somebody else maybe gets something that you're working on or striving for, that means it's coming for you next Mm. instead of like switching that that perspective as well. And I have a student um, and my friend Eric, I call him the white wizard, he he uh he can't he used to come he's 80 plus crowd he used to come to the 84 and set up in the back and kind of he called it isonomi and he would kind of move into it how he wanted but he would be there every week Mm. um and it's just it's really beautiful oh yeah love that yeah so where uh so you uh you started doing the competition yoga, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, again, tap, you not like to use the word competitive. Yeah, but, but it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> and that, you know, and, I, and I, it's funny because when I, when I first heard the word competitive yoga, um, I had a very bad taste in my mouth about it. I'm mm-hmm. like, Ugh, no, I don't like that at all. But I was very ignorant about it. You know, I didn't know the full idea, mm-hmm, but I just heard mm-hmm, the term and I'm mm-hmm. like, no, don't like it. And, um, but then knowing per- people like yourself, knowing people like Larissa that um, have either competed or helped people compete in the, mm-hmm, in the, in the mm-hmm. competition yoga, it, uh, it made a lot more sense to me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, do you mind going over a sure. little bit of uh, what you're, you're feeling of and why competition yoga, again, competition, bad word, but why that is a, is a practice now? Yes. Um, for me, it was definitely my vehicle of transformation okay. because every time we have a desire, it's on the opposite side of our fears and it's asking us to purify ourselves in order to receive that desire. And the quote-unquote competition yoga originated actually in India. I've heard a lot of people be like, oh, Americans always making everything competitive. Mm -hmm. But it actually came from India because it was a part of national identity and representing strength against um, British colonial rule for the Ghosh yogis. And um, Ghosh had students like uh, Buddha Bose who would go, they'd meet up with uh, Krishnamacharya and they'd do kind of yoga offs or yoga demonstrations for each other and help to inspire people to practice the yoga. And it was just this, this, way of yoga sport or identity and showing vitality and strength so that is part of that lineage and of course there's definitely a tendency with anything for us to get competitive people get competitive in class too you Mm -hmm. can kind of feed off of that too but for me it's always been a competition of between my higher self and my ego the ego who's going to hold you back from doing something and not risk failure and not risk vulnerability and not risk rejection and all those kind of things as well and 
you know, in this area of my life with yoga, I've gotten to the point where like, I really just like, don't give a fuck if I look like a fool. <laughs> like, yeah. I just don't care anymore. Uh -huh. There's other areas where I try and transfer that same mentality. And I started to call myself a yoga champion before I should had even won a championship. Okay. And I've, um, been the five-time uh, Washington State champion, mm. and then I placed in the top ten in the U.S. twice, <laughs> and I'm got invited to the World Championships in three weeks. Um, nice. So, and that's been a goal of mine for nine years. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> persisting in it, and but it was like stepwise. It was like, okay, first I want to win Washington State. Okay, now I want to qualify for nationals. Now I want to get in the top 10. And so it's been this process and I've demonstrated on stage, I think 16 times now. Wow. So each time though is there is always some kind of short night of the short dark night of the soul uh, i would say yeah. it's not too, too long but <laughs> leading up to it there's always some kind of extra purification process that you're looking looking at or going through and when you're on when i'm on stage i feel complete and total expansion because i am present and as my coach would say pure time mm. like nothing else and it's just been this beautiful experience for me and some of my deepest, closest friends have come through this. Like we will demonstrate with each other or quote unquote compete with each other and then go get tacos afterwards. Like, nice. like yeah. you know, oh, yeah. like, or we help each other and, um, but it's that, that competition between the ego and the higher self and it's like the Bhaga, Bhagavad Gita, you know, mm -hmm. like how do you, you can fight and you can battle for those things that you need to. And that's been part of that process for me. And this past year at Nationals, <laughs> I, um, in the semifinals, I placed fourth. And then in the final round, I made a mistake and dropped down um, from fourth to ninth. Okay. And that was such, that was the perfect medicine that I needed because I had written down that I give a flawless performance and it moves the hearts of people and and when I got done with it everybody was like that was flawless and I feel so moved so it manifested perfectly yeah. um and in that moment though I realized that I um I made a little mistake so I got a zero on one of my postures even though it looked completely flawless like right. the performance it was and I was like, this is good enough. Like, it's good enough. And mm -hmm. wow, you are doing postures on stage that you held in your mind, the vision of them, for years. Mm -hmm. For years. Like, there were some postures that took me seven, eight years to achieve in my body. And I kept that vision in my mind, even when my body didn't show it. So I was faithful to that vision that I held for myself. Okay. And... It was funny because I thought I I thought I did it. I thought I finally like yeah. won. <laughs> and then my coach had to tell me right afterwards, like that I made a mistake and you know prepare me for it. And it was actually the best thing that could have happened to me in that moment because it just really taught me so much. Like I love and accept myself even when I make a mistake. I am good enough Damn exactly straight. as I am. And then also to look at the abundance that I already did have and. I was doing these postures I always dreamed about mm -hmm. that were 
like I said, you wouldn't have thought that they could be in my body years ago. There were a lot of times when I would just work on postures and drag, drag my nose across the floor, you know, and get little like <laughs> like little rug burns or try, just trying certain things. Uh-huh. And I have a lot of um, pictures of that as well. But staying faithful to that vision in your heart, knowing that believing is seeing, mm. not seeing is believing. It's believing is seeing. Mm-hmm. And it's been such a vehicle of transformation for me and when you watch it you can feel that inspiration yeah just through every competitor who gets or every champion that gets on stage and like I said I started calling myself a champion mm-hmm. and what does it mean to be a champion a champion is much different mindset than a victim mindset okay. and so when you make that shift and you start to say I am you know, so hum, I am, you mm-hmm. invoke that, I am a champion, then you're going to be purifying your mind of any victim mindset. And there definitely have been times when I quote unquote felt like a victim or stayed in a victim state of consciousness. Definitely after my divorce, I was there for like okay. a while. I was like, and then finally I was like, what the fuck are you doing? You're a champion, Jordan. Yeah, and to transition out of that mindset and to start to look at myself. Are you responding in a place right now as a champion? Mm -hmm. Or are you responding in a place right now as a victim? Mm -hmm. And I do feel, hmm, maybe this is more controversial, I do feel feel within the spiritual collective and the spiritual communities, there's a lot of disguised victim mindset in a way that looks like healing or yeah. like empowerment, but it's very cloaked victim mindset. Like, oh, that person's toxic. Just like cut them out and move on. But you're constantly affirming like victimness yes. yeah. by looking at the opposition. Whereas I've tried to take the approach, like at least these past couple of years, what is this person reflecting in me? Right. I have to prune the vine in myself, mm. not in them. Yeah. Thank you. That sucked. I didn't appreciate that. I'm going to cry a little bit, but also what do, what do I need to shift in myself? And one of the things I've been saying too, is like, I refuse to suffer over this. I'm going to change my relationship to it because in Bikram yoga, hot yoga, gosh, we have this blazing heat (laughs) that for some people would be completely torturous. And then we go in there, we're like, Oh my gosh, the hot yoga studio is back open again. I feel like I can be alive. Right. right? Cause we changed our relationship to it. Yeah. So I've been saying to things like, I refuse to suffer over this. I'm going to change my relationship to it. How am I relating to this? Mm-hmm. And what is the, what is it that it's offering? What is the message within this? And that's been part of my process, I would say, over this past time of the, the great pause in the world is this right. purification on a deeper level in my consciousness and energy and um, coming back to yoga competitions after break for COVID. I, I was like, it feels impossible, you know, and my coach was like, all the energetic alignment you have done is more important than the physical action you could have done this past like few years and I did practice still but it wasn't at the same kind of level or intensity that I was used to so that's been part of my way of weaving through all that yeah yeah, definitely you know I think when we can uh like you were talking about with the the champion mindset and the victim mindset you know when we can really start to embody that idea you you start to learn and and see that everything is a lesson Mm -hmm. as hard as that statement is 
um, even lessons where we are victimized in something, right? There's still a lesson that can be learned in that. Now, that, do that doesn't mean that it's your fault that you've been a victim of, but there's still something that can be learned from that traumatic experience. Uh, that's a hard uh, statement for a lot of people to hear. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you, when you can, when you can really look in and say, okay, so this thing happened for me, Mm -hmm. Instead of happened to me, mm -hmm. how can I learn from this thing? Mm -hmm. um, then you take yourself again out of that victim mentality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, uh, I've been uh, doing a, for some reason, for some reason, the Navy SEALs have really like entered into my, <laughs> into my mentality and yeah. a lot of the practices that they have. And, uh, and one of the things I talk about is uh, when you get into those disparaging moments, right, where you, like as a Navy SEAL, right, you could be in a place where like all of a sudden like you, the plan blows up and mm -hmm. you're just being attacked and all this shit happens. You can cower, you can run, you can hide. Or what they talk about is electing your team captain. Mm. Like bring that team captain up to know that that person is going to drive the shit out of you as a human being because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it knows what you're capable of. And it's not an ego team captain. It's that knowledgeable, that knowledge mm -hmm, of self team mm -hmm, captain mm -hmm. that knows that you're strong, that knows that you have capabilities, that knows that you're scared, but you're still going to mm -hmm, do this thing. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's part of that knowledge of, of self when we, when we can learn the lessons. You know, we have that person that we elect because that person is that stoic commander that we mm -hmm, have that's mm -hmm. going to take care of us mm -hmm. and it's going to absorb the lessons that are learned and make sure that we're where we need to be. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, so I, you know, just, it, it kind of draws a dotted line from what you're saying to that mentality that a lot of those, you know, elite special forces, mm -hmm. uh, kind of folks use. Um, and you know, there, there's, you know, even though that elite special forces are using it for more of a, you know, like a dominance kind of thing, you know, some would say protection, but you know, whatever you want to call it, um, there's still that, that strength of that person, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of strength in the, in the, the practices that a lot of people have that we can, you know, mm -hmm. modify to fit our persons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, for some reason, again, Navy SEAL has been drawn a lot to me. You know? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. It's so with the inspiration, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's you know, and again, you know, like when we can cross over mentalities and ideas into different realms, you know, you take this, you know, seemingly violent mentality and put it into a spiritual realm, like they're mm -hmm. all crossed over in a mm -hmm. way, you know, it's mm -hmm. like the spiritual warrior, like we were talking mm -hmm. about with mm -hmm. uh, with uh, the Bhagavad Gita earlier. Mm -hmm. Arjuna didn't want to go fight his cousins mm -hmm. and his mm -hmm. and his family, but Krishna was like, "Nah, dude, you're cool." It's yeah. your, your heart's in the right place. Sometimes we got to fight. Yeah. This is the way it works, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to be held in a container of safety and you will see your cousins and your family up there in heaven and mm -hmm. that next realm. And they're going to all hug you and you're going to be in fine. Mm -hmm. Right. But for right now in this realm, you got to fight for what you need, mm -hmm. you know? And so, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's beautiful mm -hmm. with, uh, um, can you kind of talk about the experience of like a, a competition yoga, um, atmosphere, right? So what, what is, you talked about a, a, a sequence or a flow mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. okay. So yeah. So what is, uh, do you have like a set postures that you do yeah. or okay. is it like given to you? I mean like, Jordan, you're going to do these things. Make me proud. So each year it's like the rules have changed. They've been constantly expanding since okay. I, since I started. But right now what it is, is there's six postures and you do it within three minutes and you need to hold the posture in stillness for five seconds. And you want to demonstrate all categories, which is strength, balance, um, flexibility. And then you demonstrate uh, a posture that represents a twist, back bend, forward bend, um, traction, hmm. inversion, 
and then an arm balance as well. And then they have different levels of difficulty within those certain categories okay. as well. And you try and do it all in three minutes. Wow. So it was, it's quite um, adventurous. So it is very customizable to where you are as a practitioner, which is amazing because you'll have people up there for the first time and they can customize a forward fold to their level and I can customize a forward fold to where I am in my practice. Okay. And so that's part of it as well. And then they, then of course you get um, judged and scored on that kind of similar to maybe like gymnastics and that, and that effect. And, um, there's no prize money. <laughs> Don't <Yeah. laughs> like, we just do it for the glory. Okay, right on. <laughs> um, but then backstage, you know, we kind of all hang out and warm up together and each person has their process. And for me, my process is I listen to Jeff Buckley's hallelujah on repeat. Oh, there you go. Okay. And that is actually just stored in my body vibrationally when I demonstrate. And that's the song that just like really resonates with me. And when I'm up there, that's kind of what I'm feeling as well. And this last time I demonstrated, I felt, I was like, my mantra was the grass is my guru. And I was connected to the grass at Juanita Beach where I had practiced all during, you know, the quarantine uh -huh. and just being in that space and feeling that, that, that love of the, the grass and mm. the sky and the earth and, so that's kind of where the logistics of it are, okay. and there's just different rounds and variations. And if anybody's interested, I'd love to help coach ah, people as well go. because I just think it's so transformational. And even if you don't decide to, I'm going to be a world yoga champion, some people just do it once, but it creates this expansion for them, and they transfer that expanded state of awareness into any and multiple areas of their life so it's so truly transformational wow. because it pushes you outside of takes you from where you are to this new place of where you want to be mm. so and you know that things are happening like you said not to you for you but through you uh, yeah. you know and that's Channeling. that's that's part of that process as well so i feel like it's truly magical yeah. <laughs> I heard a, a gentleman talk one time a, a while back, um, and it, the, the, the talk he was given wasn't about yoga, but he had just like a little blurb about yoga in there, and I thought it was really, really fitting. But he said, uh, he was relating yoga to life, and he mm -hmm. said, with yoga, you, you, you put yourself in these awkward poses, and then you find your breath. And through the breath, you find peace. Mm -hmm. And then you stop that pose and you find another awkward pose. You put yourself in that pose and then you find your breath and you find peace. He's like, it's very, very much similar to life. You find yourself in awkward situations in life. You <laughs> yes. find your breath and you find peace. Yes. And then you step out into another realm of life. You find some awkwardness of life and you're like, okay, here's my breath. Here's my peace. I'm yes. going to be here in this moment. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, uh, I, that has sat with me so much and it, it resonates on a daily basis, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. from, from that correlation for me for, to, to yoga. And so with, with, uh, the demonstrations like you're talking about, that's, you know, finding that, that balance and that peace and even grander scale, <clears throat> because, you know, we all, you know, even, even the people that do compete in whatever realm that you compete in, you know, when the, when the spotlight is on you, the nerves are there, mm -hmm. the, the fluttery is there, right? And mm -hmm. your, your imbalance shows up and, you know, so finding your peace mm -hmm. and finding your breath mm -hmm. and then just you're being in that place. And there was, uh, my friend shared this with me prior to the national championships this summer where it was a performer put a plank, 
He was performing for a bunch of kids and put a plank up between two buildings and walked across, walked across the plank. And then he came down and he put the plank on the ground and walked across it. And he was like, it's the same plank. You just put it up higher. Mm. And so that's what I reminded myself. It's the same mat. I just put it up higher. And so you can be in that space of looking at it like, okay, like, and I remember thinking, it doesn't matter what happens. I'll be back practicing on Tuesday when I get home. You know, just that commitment to the journey and the joy. And of course, when I had that wobble, I did cry. I allowed myself to like cry afterwards. And um, people were like, well, you know, you deserve to win or this person. I was like, it's not about anybody else. It was about me. And I just wanted to do my best in the moment. And that was enough. And um, being okay with whatever outcome happens. And like you said, finding peace in each moment and knowing that it's all just feedback. And um, I'm a spin master because... People, they're like, you're fucking crazy. That situation looks terrible. And I was like, well, actually, yeah. this is this is going to be the exact thing that's going to help me or this or that. It's like, because we get to assign the meaning and the value to everything that happens mm-hmm. to us. And so I take everything. I'm like, great, that's feedback. I can make this adjustment here. So when you fall out of a posture in terms of asana, mm-hmm. it's feedback. That means I need to exert a little bit more effort in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. I need to, if I'm falling forward, I need to kick back more etc etc and I told my students be like Cardi B fall nine times get up ten that's all you gotta do Uh (laughs) um, so Cardi B wisdom you gotta love it yeah like a little bit of thug in in that too and so that's that's part of it as well is just really being comfortable with feedback Mm. Feedback mechanism through yeah. through yoga asana practice, I guess. Mm, but it's beautiful. I really love the championships. I love everybody that I've met through them. I've been like I feel emotional because I've been connected with thousands of people over the past nine years wow. through this journey, and some of the best teachers in the Bikram world. And mm. I've trained with other yoga champions, and my coach. Um, who lives in Joshua Tree, Kim Tang, she is just incredible. And she's, you know, showed people possibilities too through her own practice as well. And that's all, it's all about the transformation of human consciousness. And if people look at it as a competition, I don't really give a fuck. Like, like for me, it's like, if you can't, uh, if you're not there yet, that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Um, to be able to see what it, because we all see things through our lens and our perspective. Right. And I've done that too with things. We can only see it through the lens that we have and the perspective that we have. And one of the things I've been asking for lately is whatever situations presented to me, help me see this through the eyes of love. Help me see this through loving awareness. How can I see this through a fresh perspective? I'm a new person. How can I see this person, place, situation with new eyes? Mm. And... So we can only see where we are at a level of consciousness. And right. even with my with the competitors, I can actually see where they are in their process of consciousness and hold space for that too. And I just I just feel like I've moved, like you said, into a state of peace, which is just that's that state of allowance. Right. It's right underneath what I call avatar consciousness, which mm. is like total alignment. When we're in a state of peace, it's total expansion. And 
I believe somebody in a state of peace entrains 100, no, maybe 1 million other souls. Oh. So at a lower conscious level of shame. Okay. So they elevate them. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit because I think it's important. Mm -hmm. As a collective, as a global community, we've been in fear and shame for in the past couple years and so as yoga practitioners putting ourselves in a state of just neutrality acceptance love joy peace is elevating hundreds of thousands of souls so our practice is very fundamental right now and just moving into that state as well and um when everything first happened one of the first things i just started saying is like i'm free i'm free i'm free no matter what's happening i'm free no matter what's happening and i've felt that way this this whole time yeah like it it i've i have felt free it doesn't matter what's going on externally to me i have freedom is created inside of me you can feel free in prison or you can not feel free in the middle of a field right it's whatever you're taking inside of you so yeah yeah yeah, like we can only, you know, we, we only view the world through our nervous system, right? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. through our, our fingers, our eyes, our ears. But then, you know, that's how we, we take in sensory information. But then we have our consciousness that processes that information. Mm-hmm. So you could have the clearest eyes, twenty twenty vision, perfect hearing, nothing wrong with your senses, right? But, you know, to like what you were talking about earlier, if your consciousness isn't at that pure point... Or if, if your consciousness is going to muddy up the information that's coming in, then we need to do some work on the consciousness, mm-hmm, right? Because if, mm-hmm. you, if you are feeling and seeing and touching everything with as pureness as you can, but then as that, that information comes in, it gets processed by your consciousness, which isn't in a pure place, then that's bad information that's coming right, in. You right. know? So doing that work on yourself, and nobody knows how to do that work except for mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, There's people like yourself, who's Reiki level two now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a Reiki master, sound healer. There's people out there to help you with the modalities, but we're not, we can't ma- wave a wand and be like, you're healed. Mm-hmm. That, that's your hard work to do, mm-hmm, and nobody's mm-hmm. going to do that hard work except for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, getting, that, getting your consciousness to a place to where you're ready to embark on your, your healing journey um, and knowing that it's, a lot's going to change through that journey. Mm-hmm. Right? The way that you think, the way that you present yourself, the way that you accept information – you might lose friends, you might gain friends, you know, mm-hmm, you might feel mm-hmm. ostracized for a long time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that's all that part of the process of sweeping away all the shit that's no longer serving you and embracing the stuff that you, mm-hmm, that really does. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's a hard, it's a hard path. It's a hard road to walk, mm-hmm. but getting that consciousness to the place to where you're ready to really absorb the information and then talk about the information, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. is a really important part. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, it's always filtered through the lens of our experience as well. And yeah. one of the things I realized too um, after my divorce is I was constantly saying, I'm healing, I'm healing, I'm healing, I'm healing. And then one day I was like, I need to claim I'm healed. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I will be in this perpetual state of healing. Right. And then I kind of did feel that I shifted, but it was this shift in consciousness and knowing that nobody's going to save you except for yourself. And like you said, we can use these other people they're they're essentially channeling source information to us to be presented to us so a reiki master or a yoga teacher they're just channeling source and providing us with the information and the insight and that's the medium 
that is coming through us. And like as a teacher, it's not my information. Right. It's source's information. Oh, right. I've just made myself a pure vessel and a pure conduit. And I, as a practitioner of, you know, various things, you know, I don't watch TV. I'm very careful about the music I listen to because I don't want to have any of this collective rubbish saturating myself as a channel it, mm. I, it feels very important for me to yeah. be aligned with that um but that's the that but it is really about us quote unquote doing the work and I was thinking what you were saying too about being at peace we always are going to want something we're always going to desire something which is great yeah. it's part of that our, our our desires are on the other side of our fears and that's by design but it's also being at peace in the moment knowing that you know that I was thinking about the other day the life I have now is the life I dreamed about years ago mm. but I still want more which is fine yep. and also being in this place of peace knowing that once you get a certain thing you're gonna want something else so how can you find peace With that. in the present moment right. and and allow and accept and trust trust the process which is you know definitely a favorite Vikram saying too uh -huh. like a lot in the community everybody's like trust the process and I repeated that for years not really understanding it and then I was like oh you know years later I was like oh yes this process has purified me I guess I have been trusting it yeah <laughs> <laughs> right. I just said it but not really embodying it and I think that too sometimes that's part of the process as well, is that the things will form in the consciousness prior to embodying. Same with yes. manifestation, which is to make the invisible visible. So it will be lingering in the consciousness before it actually becomes, um, appears in the physical form, the physical condensed energy. Mm -hmm. But yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, for a long time, uh, well, actually, I didn't realize I didn't love myself until uh, about probably when I got attuned for Reiki. Mm -hmm. When I, when you know, you get attuned, you do a lot of, I think it's twenty one days of self Reiki, and through that process, I realized I was just an asshole to myself for mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, and but you know, finding that love for oneself and finding that 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 imperfectness, you know, and and being okay with uh, with not believing it at first. Mm -hmm. And that was my big thing is like, I read a book called love yourself. Like your life depends on it. I read that too. That's amazing. Such a good book. Yes. And so, you know, his, his, his process was, I love myself. Thank you. Tell yourself, I in, inhale, yes. look at yourself in the eye in the mirror. And, and for the first, maybe three months I did it. I'm like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I love myself. Thank you. I love myself. Thank you. I don't believe it at all. Mm -hmm. And then finally one day I found myself crying saying it. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm actually believing this now. <laughs> yes. You know? And so I think that's a lot of it too, is you, you, we might not believe ourselves when we first started practice. We mm -hmm. might not have that, like, like for yoga, for example, right? When I first started yoga, I couldn't even see my toes, let alone touch them. Mm -hmm. But I knew they were there. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I kept trying, I kept trying. And then one day I touched them. You know, mm -hmm. same thing. It's like, we might not believe what we're saying to ourselves. We not, might not believe that we're worthy, that we're enough, that mm -hmm. we do love ourselves, mm -hmm. but say it, mm -hmm. start saying it because mm -hmm. down deep, you know it and you mm -hmm. just need to convince yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. so the more you say it, the more you'll start to believe that stuff. Yes. I, I love that book as well. I read that right after I separated mm -hmm. and, um, so like for me too, I just was walking around for three months being like, I love myself. And right now I feel like I'm in the pit of fucking despair, <laughs> yeah. but I love myself. And then like one day it just like clicked and I was like, no, I do love myself. And now mm -hmm. I say like, I love everyone. Everyone le loves me. I, um, I love myself and I'm 
not afraid to be alone. Mm. Meaning like, because sometimes we're afraid to be alone, meaning not in a relationship, but we can also be afraid to be alone in a relationship. And the fear of being alone is actually the fear of being left with our own thoughts. Mm. So if our thoughts are a beautiful garden through that purification of the mind and what we tell ourselves, we won't be afraid to be alone. Yeah. And I think that past, this past year has really taught me that because I've spent a, t- a lot of time on my own. Like, okay, I'm actually not afraid to be alone. My, now that I've purified my mind even more. And what you were saying too um, kind of touches on a lot of the work that I've been doing for myself personally. People are like, well, how have you been spending your time? It's like, <laughs> like reprogramming my subconscious mind. What have you been doing? Right, exactly. Um, (laughs) And changing my core beliefs, like I'm good enough, I'm worthy, I'm more than enough, I trust myself, I'm safe, I'm secure, and how much changes on the external level have shifted Mm -hmm. because I've been saying that consciously. But like I didn't believe it at first, but I just kept saying it and I just trusted in the unseen. And Mm -hmm. then one day it kind of clicks into place and it just embodies in you and you feel it and it's it's a really beautiful process as well oh man that's beautiful Mm -hmm. uh do you have time to talk about subliminal yes um, yes okay i would love to talk about so subliminal um uh, meditations yeah so you can call them sleep meditations or subliminals and so I'm trained in yoga nidra and yoga nidra is a you know is this kind of similar practice as well you know so the physical body is asleep and the mind's awake and alert alert and through that we can go in there and shift the samskaras or the limiting beliefs um, limiting patterns and purify it out like the phoenix does so i started using them because i felt very traumatized after my divorce and i started to spell before i would go to bed s-a-f-e and just loop that before i would go to sleep and then i started making and recording my own voice and saying different types of affirmations and listening to them. And then now I've listened to a bunch of other people's. Like each night I'm like, okay, which adventure are we going to go on? Am I going to use one of mine? I'm going to use this other person's? Use this or not that? But what happens during that is our conscious mind or the egoic mind is asleep. And the portal of the subconscious is wide open. And our last sense, our sense of hearing never shuts off which is by design because it was meant to keep us safe. So in that repetition while you're asleep, you're in this theta state, so it's kind of self-hypnosis, and you're able to really get in there and shift things quite rapidly. That would take maybe months of conscious affirming. And I did that for probably shifted maybe 10 to 20,000 beliefs over this past year. And I've been being like, well, when am I going to be done with it? I'm like, actually you're probably never going to be done with it because it's a constant purification. And I've been telling people like, okay, now the beliefs I'm working on, like I'm a priority. Like, and I was like, well, these are luxury beliefs compared to I'm safe. I'm trusting. Like those are those like the bedrock (laughs) beliefs. Now I'm at a luxury belief. Like this is a luxury one. Yeah. And, um, so, through that process though of changing core beliefs, I will not say it was like a very simple process because what happens is no man can serve two masters, meaning that your subconscious mind will try to reject even the new belief, even if it serves you. Oh, interesting. Because the subconscious thrives or survives on familiarity. It doesn't thrive on it. 
but it survives on familiarity. And some of the ways that we think and some of the behaviors and patterns we have, we learned as defense mechanism or protection. So you're asking your subconscious to be vulnerable when it learned it wasn't safe to be vulnerable. Mm. But who wants to live life like that? So what can happen is there's actually this purging process that can happen. I'm not, I'm, I could affirm that it doesn't, but your mind has like resistance. And there was a time during these past six months where I felt even more volatile, even more dysregulated because I was constantly shifting between a person who is worthy and a person who's not worthy, a person who's good enough and a person who's not good enough. Whereas like my resting state before was like, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel good enough. And you don't know, it's like ER, you don't know that you're miserable until you get a little bit of tigger in you and then you're like oh like there's a there's a little bit of a juxtaposition here Uh right so you have the contrast and then your reality you're it's like turning the light on and the cockroaches are going to scatter they were always there Mm -hmm. and now all these beliefs are coming up and you're like oh i that's always been there you're just finally exterminating them right so um there would be just weird things that would happen um in my reality when I was like moving through, (laughs) through certain ones, or I started affirming I'm worthy. And then I was at the airport practicing yoga and some guy came up to me and was like, that's like so sinful what you're doing. So, but it was like, it was like that old reality had to detox out or saying I'm whole and complete. And then watching things in reality start breaking around you. Uh And then all of a sudden, you know, you keep pushing through that, pushing through that. And then it's like, I am whole and complete and it will physically manifest at that point, but it has to purge it out. It has to eliminate it out. It's like a detox of it as well. And, um, I really love the teachings of Neville Goddard who is law of assumption as opposed to law of attraction. And now I'm kind of actually getting back to law of attraction again, combined with law of assumption, I think is the, is the potent medicine. Um, because you can feel good and not be changing your assumptions about the world around you. You can feel good and still hold the belief that you're not worthy. Right. You can still hold the assumption that things don't work out for you, even if you're feeling good. And then if you combine that together, that your main priority each day is to feel good, and you're worthy of this, and you're good enough for this, mm-hmm. and things are always working out for you, then you're going to become a master of your reality. That combination of the two. Yeah. But Neville Goddard has a quote, when you cut off the head of the snake, it bleeds out for a little bit. So saying that, when we shift an assumption or a belief, we're going to have a bleed out maybe for a little bit of the old stuff because we've been telling ourselves the story for a long time. Right. Like you said, you walked around for months being like, I love myself, I love myself, I love myself. And yet you didn't feel it at the time. Yeah, totally. And then it clicked into place a uh-huh. little bit later. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, so when, with, with your explanation of that, I, I have this personal theory that I've gone through a couple times, you know, as my spiritual... Um, I don't want to call it awakening, but the process of my spirituality has been unfolding. Um, I have these these big barometers of things that I get past, like my mental stories that mm-hmm. I've told myself. And uh, and right when I feel like I've gotten past that thing, I all of a sudden get faced with it. Exactly. You know, and, and my, my understanding of that was, okay, so this is new Adam mm-hmm. with new mentality, new understanding of life, new tools. 
uh, confronted with an old emotion. Mm -hmm. And so now utilizing all these tools that I have and this new mentality to see how this emotion, this feeling, this, this uncertainty, this story manifests and how quickly I can either push past it, not believe it, or work my way to an understanding of like, that's not a reality. Yes. And so, yeah, yes. I, and, and, and it just happens constantly like that. Like I, I check a box of like, cool, not feeling that anymore. And then like a week later, it's like, Hey, guess what? Yes. Here's that feeling. You're like, Oh <laughs> shit. Okay, cool. Call up on, call, call my team captain up. Yeah. All my tools, get the tool bag out and let's, let's, let's do this shit. Exactly. Right? It's almost like your old belief system is going to reinforce. And are you choosing to respond from new Adam? the perspective of new Adam with this perception or old Adam. And I've had that situation. Like I, you know, I have things in my life now where I'm like, not breaking character. I'm not going to respond how old <laughs> Jordan you, right? or Jordan would, <laughs> old Jordan would be like, what the fuck, uh -huh. you know? And new Jordan's like, this is feedback. I will take it. Thank you. <laughs> you know, but that, that being confronted with it and almost allowing that head of the snake to finally be, you know, cut off and mm -hmm. totally bleed out. Um, but it's been an interesting process and I make a lot of sleep meditations on my YouTube channel because I'm very passionate about it because it's been one of the things that have helps to transform me the quickest out of everything that I've done. Mm. Um, you know, I've done a lot of different healing modalities and I, I love them all and I'm grateful for it, but um, it's really quite remarkable. And yeah. right now I'm making sassy ones that I call like witch sleep meditations like sexy witch and boho babe and rich witch and they're like more playful chill hop stuff but it's still those good affirmations yeah. it's just with a little sass in it and I'm making one called like the high priestess and the mystic and just the and following it's, archetype kind of ideas yeah archetype but it's actually it's really funny because they're all kind of aspects or of my own personality and there are a lot of the personal affirmations that I have kind of used and I love I absolutely love words like I love words I'm a clairaudient that's how inspiration oh. comes to me okay. is through words and you know I do do um, psychic readings on different chats and websites and tarot readings but it comes through me through words and I've always loved words like when I was in college I was I had quotes all over my door mm. and I had notebooks full of quotes and words and things I'd hear and so now it kind of feels like it's all synthesizing together to come this way and I love like witty ways of saying things and one of the beliefs I was working on was actually my mom came to me with a problem and I was like, God damn it, mom. Like I'm not tech support. Why do people always come to me in time of need? And then I was like, oh, I'm literally speaking that into existence. And so I was like, no, people come to me in time of need and in time of ease. Or, you know, people come to me as I please and like taking these things and challenging them as well. And, or there's room for two givers in a relationship instead of like saying, oh, relationships always give and take or, um, all my relationships are give, take. So no, I'm like, no, all my relationships are give, give. I'm surrounded by givers. There's people come to me in their time of ease. People come to me with or without need and just challenging these narratives or my relationships can be on my terms too. Like, and listening to everything you're saying and knowing that it's not true unless you say it's true. Mm. There is no such thing. Uh, people are going to be like, you're crazy for saying this, but there's no such thing as a fact. Okay. There's no such thing as a fact because you'll always be proven right by your assumption. Confirmation bias. It's the, That's confirmation 
bias and I tell my students, if you say you can't, then you're right. If you say you can, then you can. And the universe will always be like, very well, so be it. So which one do you want to choose? And even in terms of our relationships and other people around us, like I've transformed a lot of my relationships, even my relationship with my mom through changing my assumptions and even going back and like revising certain things in our relationship in my mind and then noticing that express out onto the field of awareness. And it was really beautiful when she called and we had that exchange and then she spent like the rest of the phone call helping me like figure out phrases for how to change this belief and like look for affirmations and looking up in the dictionary and the uh, thesaurus. And so, yeah, I make these sleep meditations. I'm super passionate about it. And, um, I would recommend, you don't have to use mine, but just find a self-love sleep meditation if you're moving through something and start to notice the magic unfold and really commit to sleeping with it on for, you know, not just one time, just not two times. I've been sleeping with them on for like a year and a half Mm -hmm. because um, our nervous system and our neuroplasticity and our brain have been wired a certain way for maybe decades. And so you're undoing a lot of stuff within a span of months, which I think is so worth it. Yeah. So worth it. I don't, do I want that for the next 30 years of my life? No, I don't want to think that way for the next 30 years of my life. And something else too, sorry, I get really passionate, but I've been walking around for months being like, because I'm worthy, because I'm good enough to everything that I've been doing. Like I can have this popsicle because I'm worthy. And then like I posted about it on Instagram and then people were sending me popsicles. I'm taking (laughs) popsicles and being like, because I'm worthy, because that was just my way to start affirming everything. Everything I was doing, I was like, you know, a segment intending like, oh, because I'm worthy. I can do this because I'm good enough. I'm treasured, et cetera, et cetera. And starting to really reprogram my mind in that way and um, my favorite affirmation right now is what I want wants me more because we can intend for something and then it's like order place order canceled because I'm like I intend for my body to be healthy oh my body doesn't want to be healthy so it's like you place the order with the universe and then you're like canceled Uh but if I intend to be healthy and my body wants to be healthy, then you're in total alignment between your intention mm-hmm. and your desire. Mm. And your desire wants you more. Right. So watch the magic unfold uh, when you use what I want wants me more. To everything you do, I want that, it wants me, want more. wants me more. I'm writing that down. Yeah, that one's, that one's gold. <laughs> I love that. And I, so I love, you, you can't see it, but I did. You lit up like a Christmas tree whenever you said that. It was <laughs> yeah. such a beautiful thing. <laughs> Oh, man, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I want to honor your time. Yeah, um, thank you so much. But uh, I do want to have you back because there's so yeah. much more we want yeah. to talk about. Yes, I would um, love to. I'm I've, really uh, grateful, yeah. Loved our conversation, and I can tell that you're passionate about uh, about humanity and about the healing process, mm-hmm. and that's such a beautiful thing. Um, I love uh, the opportunity to get to know you better and to, to hear all the beautiful things that you're yeah, doing. Yeah, thank you. Um, if I can be of any service, please yeah, let me know. Yeah. Uh, but I wish you what? So three weeks you're, you're doing the competition? So 20th and the 21st and okay. headed down to Joshua Tree. And um, yeah, I am just grateful. I'll, I am going to... Oh, okay, well, actually before I got the invite, I said to myself... Maybe I'm okay if it never happens that I get to the world championships. 
I just wanted the practice of a yoga, world yoga champion and I had that and nobody can take that from me and I surrendered it and then the next day I got the email but I just made total peace with it. So I'm just excited to go and to share my art and my love and my passion for this and I hope through my practice and my demonstration and my story that people know that joy is your birthright. Like it is your birthright. You're just leaving me with gems here today. (laughs) Joy is your birthright. Oh my gosh. It definitely is. Uh, Well, I'm going to leave. So we're going to leave links for your YouTube channel. um, Mm -hmm. If there is a way to support you with the the competition that you're going towards. Uh, So we'll leave links in the show notes for all this stuff and uh, and also ways to connect with Jordan and myself. So, but, uh, Thank you so much again, yeah, Mom. I appreciate you. So you. Good much. luck with everything that thank you're doing, you. and uh, we will we will talk again soon. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with Jordan and I. If you have any questions about the content we covered or want to reach out to us directly, we'll leave some links in the show notes. As always, thank you so much for the support. Uh, please like the podcast, uh, subscribe to it, and leave comments if you can. And uh, we'll see you here next time. Obeisance and love to you all.